So as you know, Pastor Rick is not with us. Um, and I don't take this task lightly. Um, if you would, turn to Ezekiel 2. Ezekiel 2, and uh, I'm going to start off reading verses 6 through 10. Ezekiel 2, 6 through 10. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid. For their words, or dis- of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious. Like that rebellious house, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was, written, uh, there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, Holy One, Creator of all things, I am nothing but a tool in your hands. If you see fit, I pray, Lord, that you would use me today. Guide me. May I be found worthy to speak the words you would have these present here. May you be glorified today. In Christ's name, amen. funny um i've actually thought about this day (laughs) quite a bit over the last few years um if i would ever get the chance um, to stand before the congregation here um i realized the awesome responsibility um I've thought about what I would say, the faces I would see. My hope is this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that this will be like no other sermon you've ever heard before. It could be for good and for bad. Um, for some of you... Um, and I don't know who that could be. We've had visitors come in and have a seat um, that we've never seen before. And we have faces that we've seen for years and years. But for some of you, and again, I don't know who that could be today, I pray that this would be as no other day that you've experienced before or ever again. That there may be even one today that may be converted to Christ. Um, In some respects, um, I'm comfortable 
with you. And in some respects, I'm terrified. Um, I am fearful, but not for the reasons you may think. It's been a long time since I've feared public speaking, um, even to large numbers. Uh, for years, I've had public speaking you know, in front of a classroom daily. So um, I've even preached in the open air to many strangers. This is different. My fear is that I may compromise the gospel as others have. I don't want to pull any punches. Um, I fear God. I'm not here for me. In some respects, I'm not even here for you. Um, I'm here for God, and I want to be obedient to him. <laughs> so since Christmas, uh, we're only about a month separated from that, um, I've been studying and reading about the Incarnation, um, Christmas, if you will. And um, when I was asked to kind of spur the moment, uh, uh, give you a message, a sermon of sorts, um, that's where my mind has been. So uh, it's still winter. <laughs> it's still cold here in upstate New York. So... Um, we're not too far removed from Christmas, but I believe the incarnation uh, is something that we can celebrate year-round. If you would, um, turn to 1 John. 1 John 4. First John 4. Um, and I'm going to read the first two verses there. 1 John 4. Verses 1 and 2. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh of God is of God. The spirits. Many of you have heard, read, or watched a version of the popular Story, A Christmas Carol, in which a mean, greedy, covetous man is visited by three spirits. It takes place on Christmas Eve, and through the things shown to him, he undergoes a radical transformation into a completely different man. At the end of this story, he has become a radically different man in who he serves and what he serves. In his mind, in his will, in his emotions, and in his actions. A quote from that play from Ebenezer Scrooge after his radical transformation. He says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive with me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. Today, 
I want to look at salvation from three perspectives, past, present, and future. Don't shut out the lessons that they teach. Before we go any further, uh, I mentioned a secular play at best, um, and I don't know, nor can I judge Mr. Dickens, uh, the author of A Christmas Carol, but the picture he portrays is the picture of true repentance and a saved man. I cannot preach to Mr. Dickens. It's too late for him. He is presently either bringing glory to God in heaven as a demonstration of God's mercy, God's perfect mercy, his love, kindness, and long-suffering, and will for all eternity. Or, the alternative, he's bringing God glory in the lowest depth of hell as a clear demonstration of God's other perfect attributes of holiness, wrath, hatred for sin, justice. Mr. Charles Dickens will not rob God of his glory. The one true God is deeply concerned with making things right. He's deeply concerned with making wrongs right. He lifts no sinner off the hook without a fitting punishment or a fitting substitutionary atonement, a substitute. So, if you would turn to Matthew 1, Matthew 1, we're going to jump around a little bit today. <laughs> Forgive me, this will be a little bit topical <laughs> uh, instead of a uh, series. Matthew 1, uh, starting at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And, he, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they should call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. A couple things to take from this. Um, Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Not just hell. Also, his name. His name will be called Emmanuel, translated God with us. So let's take a look at salvation past, or we can even say the justification, right? God's, God makes atonement for sin. You may have heard that the reason for Christmas or the Christmas season is sin. Amen. The reason that God 
the Son, stepped out of heaven, in some respects, is because of our sin. Yes, but let's take it a step further. Your sin is the reason for Christmas, yes. My sin is the reason God the Son, the Almighty, the Eternal God, the Creator of all things, He who will judge the living and the dead, left heaven. He took on flesh. He humbled himself to be born of a sinful woman in a dirty stable. He lived a life characterized by abject poverty, shame, ridicule, sorrow, grief, betrayal, rejection, torture, and a criminal's execution. This is the incarnate God. All because of our sin. My sin. That's not the worst of it. My rebellion. In the King of Kings' kingdom, my refusal to obey the commands of my Creator, the one who saw fit to give me life, my refusal to obey the commands of He who holds my next heartbeat in His hand, my refusal to obey the commands of He who allows me to breathe the breath presently in my lungs, My refusal to obey the commands of God caused him to suffer the undiluted wrath of God the Father. (sighs) And it pleased the Father to crush him. It pleased the Father to crush him because of my wickedness, because of your sin. When God's Son bore your sin, the Father crushed him. On the cross, God's wrath was poured out on his own Son. And it pleased him to crush him. Turn to Isaiah 53. It's not all sleigh bells and ho, ho, ho. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? Verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the, ground, out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. That we, and when we see him, There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment 
And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. How? How does God justify the sinner? Pastor Rick this morning requested that I give a gospel message. Um, Just now, there may have been a few reactions to that word gospel. For some of you, gospel? What's that? (laughs) <laughs> I have found that there are many that have never heard the gospel, and that may be the case here. For others, I've heard it. No thanks. There are many of you that have never understood the gospel because you've not had the gospel explained in a way that you could understand it. And still others, the first thought might be, that's right, give them the gospel. There are also those that have accepted a false gospel that think they are saved. And the gospel does not apply to them. Lastly, there are those that know the truth and truly believe the gospel. Odds are, right now, they're praying for the rest of you. Again, I hesitate today. I hesitate in sharing the gospel. My desire is not to compromise at all, as I fear God. To many of you, that's a foreign concept, fearing the God that is love. I mean, God is love, right? Yes. (laughs) Love is one of God's perfections. A perfect attribute, if you will. He's also perfect in mercy, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfect in his wrath, perfect in his hatred for sin, perfect in his hatred for his enemies. By now, (laughs) some of you may be saying, well, okay, what's the gospel? Before we get there, what the gospel is not. Some of you have heard the gospel that it's good news, and it is. For some. But for others, it's it's too good to be true. And therefore, bad news. Here we are, tainted with imperfections, all of us. The reason we cannot glorify God perfectly in this life is because of the effects of sin. Some may even think, well, I've done too much for God to save me. 
Because of sin, we live in a sin-cursed world. Our bodies wear out. There's disease, hospitals, prisons, earthquakes, famines, funerals. Right? There's death. And the Bible, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So what's sin? Simply put, is a violation of God's holiness, transgressing God's law. Simply put. When you violate God's perfect law, you violate Him. Can't take that too lightly. He is a victim of your crime. It's not simply against your brother or sister. It's not simply against a stranger. Cheat on your taxes and not simply against the government. Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Well, if I just obey the Ten Commandments, right? That's good. Is that enough? You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, primarily found in Exodus 20. You don't have to turn there right now. Um, the first commandment says, You shall have no other gods before me. This demands complete allegiance. Complete allegiance. And worship to Him. He is God alone. There is no other. Isaiah 43.10 You shall not make for yourself a graven image. Commandment number two. This includes an unbiblical view of Christ and God. No idol, no false worship. This reveals he is the only sovereign and true God. He dictates how he is to be worshipped. It's just that simple. Commandment number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Oh, well, I don't say that. I don't do that. I'm good there. It's not simply saying OMG. That's included. <laughs> but do you name the name of Christ, calling yourself a Christian, and then live like a devil? That dishonors his character, his holiness, his excellency, his sovereignty. His very existence. You take the name of Christian. You profess Christ. But then you go off and you do whatever you want. Taking the Lord's name in vain. You take upon His name. You identify with Him. And yet to the surrounding world, you're no different than them. Number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, you're all here. Woohoo! I'm obeying that one. Do you set aside and devote one day a week to God alone? I said day, not morning. That's tough for us. Or do we spend that time on our own desires, our own needs? Do we fellowship? 
do we try to gather with God's people? Not just for a few hours. Is Sunday the only time? Keep it holy. Number five, commandment number five, honor your parents. God has all authority. All authority. And he set up an authority structure. How do you treat those above you? It's not just about parents. It's an authority structure. How do you treat your parents, your grandparents, those in power, if you will, above you? Bosses, right? In your employment? What about our government? There's an authority structure. We're called to be obedient. How do you treat these people when they're around, let alone when they're not? Number six, commandment number six, you shall not murder. God is the source of life. We're made in his image. We have no right to murder physically or in our heart what was created in his image. Christ says anyone who is angry without a righteous cause commits murder in his heart. Are you a murderer? If someone turns their back, how do you speak about them? Do you secretly hate someone while you speak to them to their face? God sees this as murder. He is the source of life. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. God is completely faithful. Right? This is a mirror of his attributes. And we are not God. God is completely faithful. Are you unfaithful to God and others? In the same passage, Matthew 5 you can go to 521. Uh, Matthew 521. Speaking about adultery, speaking about hate. Matthew 521. You've heard it said that those of old, by those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Think of how you think of people. Gossip, slander, all these things come into that. But again, in the same passage later on, if you look at someone with lust, God considers you an adulterer. An adulterer at heart. That's where it starts. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. God is the source of all we need. To steal is to take what God has not given to us. In Malachi 3.8, God asks, um, will, mere mortal, will mere mortal man rob God? 
but you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. We rob God of his glory every time we sin. You may tithe weekly, faithfully, but when someone gives you a compliment, that's right, man, I am so good. Maybe not outwardly, maybe inwardly. It's difficult. It is difficult to be to truly mean, yeah, praise God, because that, that's all from him. Some, for some people, it comes naturally. Wow, good job. Man, praise God, because that was not my doing. Many times. My wife and I have heard, oh man, your kids are so well behaved. <laughs> That's in spite of us. <laughs> Listen, we try. <laughs> we worked. But God is gracious. We rob God of his glory every time we sin. Nine, you should not bear false witness. Yes, this is lying. God is completely truthful. In John 14, 6, you don't have to turn there. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God is truth. As his image bearer, do you portray him to the world as a liar? Oh yes, I'm a Christian. How many times in your life have you lied? Try to think about that. Oh, well, I haven't really lied much since I've been saved. Think of the abundance, if you will, the number of lies in your lifetime. Yes, that's little white lies too. Shading the truth. I remember once, I'm going off script here. (sighs) A gentleman that was in my small group um, when we were down at Cornerstone called me when we were on vacation um, just to see how I was doing. I saw who it was on the phone, and I was like, ah, not right now. And he left a message. I didn't call him back. All he was doing was, hey, how are you doing? Everything good? And that's it. When I saw him the next time, he said, hey, yeah, I, gave, I called you, but um, it just went to voicemail. And I was like, yeah, man, I was, we were just really busy. Why did I say that? It's a bold-faced lie. I was just brushing him off. We, we talked. We chatted. We walked away. And like 10 minutes later, man, I was dying inside. I went and found him, pulled him aside. I was like, dude, I don't know why I did that. I have no idea. And I confessed to him, sin. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but it killed me inside. May we be sensitive to sin. Goodness. Um, Commandment number 10. You shall not covet. This is desiring what God has not seen fit to give to you. 
<laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> this commandment shows the sufficiency of God. What else do you need? He is sufficient for all we need. So, Ten Commandments, how do you measure up? Oh, man, I don't know. (laughs) Well, God's standard is perfection. We all stand guilty. If you sit here and say, oh, yeah, I do pretty good by that list, (laughs) you're lying to yourself. We all stand guilty. We we don't deserve a reward for our guilt. We simply... deserve punishment at the hands of an almighty God. That should scare you. Don't think back, oh, well, at least I'm saved. Woo-hoo. It doesn't matter because you're saved. If that's your mentality, check yourself. You're probably not saved. God will punish every instance of sin. Every instance. You don't believe me? Galatians 6, 7. Write it down. Take notes. He'll be, he'll be, he will by no means acquit the guilty. You're guilty. That's Exodus 23, 7. He will by no means acquit the guilty. Oh, that's Old Testament. Romans 5, 5.10, our sin makes us enemies of God. Also Romans 8, 7. Psalms, oh, no songs. <laughs> we can sing about how God is angry with the wicked every day. Those who violate some minor point of God's law are as guilty as if they had broken every commandment. James 2.10. You violate one, it's the whole list. Remember, you're not just violating a command. You're violating the lawgiver. He is your victim. Now these are questions every Christian has had to face. And yeah, it brings us low. It should. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to this church. Years. Many of you remember me when I was little and when I was not so little. Although I grew up in church, I didn't see the weight of these things. Subsequently, I I lived in rebellion. I hid some of it, but a lot of it was obvious. I enjoyed my sin. All the while, I was blaspheming God in my hypocrisy. In more recent years, um, I've come to understand a lot of this. Um, And when I violate God's perfect law, I understand. I violate him. He is the victim of my crimes, not just my neighbor. Sin is a rebellion against God himself. All sin. God is is infinite. Each instance of sin is an infinite crime against an infinite God. And it deserves an infinite penalty. 
God's forgiving. Right? You might say that. But can God simply declare our wrongdoing null and void? No. Can he just excuse the sinner and let sin go unpunished? No. No, that's unjust. That's unholy. He cannot just look the other way when we sin. Fear God. We sin as though God doesn't see it. As if he's not all-seeing, all-knowing. That he's not omnipresent. Fear God. Many of you, that's a foreign concept. Fearing a God that is love. But God is love. Love is one of his perfect attributes that we violate. Remember, our sin has made us all enemies of God. It's a scary proposition. To be an enemy of our creator, the almighty God, the one true God. The one true God is deeply concerned with making wrongs right. He lets no sinner off the hook. And it's an all-knowing God that knows how to punish That infinite penalty that we've earned for our crimes is eternal torment at the hands of an all-powerful God. An all-knowing God. And he's able to punish us perfectly. That's why it's eternal. Forever. He's infinite. The punishment must be infinite. What about that substitute, Keith? (laughs) Get to that substitute. Only a completely sinless, innocent man that has kept God's God's law perfectly could be our Redeemer. But all mankind is corrupt with sin. Only God himself can pay an infinite penalty. So out of love for his people, God the Father sends God the Son to earth. The Son covers his glory with human flesh and was born as a sinless human. Not only did he never sin by violating God's attributes or character, but he obeyed God's will perfectly. Not for his own glory, but but all for the Father's glory. At the Father's command, he was obedient. According to Philippians 2, um, yeah, turn to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, uh, starting at verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at that that name, the name Jesus, every knee should bow for those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the Father's command, he was obedient. Even to death. Remember, when God's Son bore sin, the Father crushed him. On the cross, God's wrath was poured out on God the Son. Justice was served. And it brought the Father glory. His perfect wrath was executed on Christ on behalf of sinners. Why? Because an innocent sacrificial lamb, the innocent sacrificial lamb of God, took upon himself the sin of those who would turn from their rebellion. Those that would repent of their sin and believe on Christ and his all-sufficient sacrifice. Turn from your sin and believe on Christ. Luke 13 says, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Christ took the infinite punishment that you deserve. Will you simply reject that payment and pay for your sin yourself within an eternity of earned torment? I'll tell you now, you cannot hope in your own good works to save you. I'll just do better. I'm already saved, so I'll just... You sure? Your hope has to be in a substitute. You're guilty, remember? The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his payment alone to the Father on your behalf for your sin and rebellion. That's where your hope should lie. Not in some decision you made long ago. Not in, well, I I, I read my Bible today. I did good this week. Your hope needs to be in a substitute. Not your works, but what he has done. Not only in obedience to the Father, but also, right, he didn't sin and he obeyed completely, perfectly. Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world in judgment although he would have been righteous and justified in doing so? What do you mean? He didn't come to condemn the world. Well, if you look at John, John 3, familiar passage, the world was condemned already. Go to John 3. John 3.16. Great verse. (laughs) Everybody knows that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. We hide what we do. We don't want people to know. We don't come to the light. Do we confess our sins one to another? Or do we sugarcoat it? Believe in Christ. Believe. What does that mean? I believe in Christ. I believe in a lot of things. It's not a simple thing. Like, oh yeah, I believe that George Washington was the first president. Very different. John 3.35. John 3.35. Just a little further in that chapter. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. But he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe, the Son shall not see life. I'm sorry. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That belief He who does not believe can also be translated obey. Let me read that again. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Will you obey Christ? Ask the question. Will you turn from your sin and rebellion? Will you trust that the payment on the cross applies to you? What will the resulting life look like? God seeks and saves the lost. His desire is for all to turn from their sin and rebellion and be saved. Christ says, come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. Are you weary and heavy laden? Are you spinning your wheels? Not, you can't get out of it? You try and try, but every day the same sin creeps up. Maybe not as strong as before, maybe stronger than before, but it's a constant thing. Where has it gotten you? Where has sin gotten you? You can't give up the one thing that's going to drag you to hell. It's that important to you? So, believe. <laughs> so easy. I did that. Do you keep doing it? Where is your assurance? In a decision you made a long time ago? There is a proper response to the gospel. There's a proper response to the gospel. So many ministries, so many churches, so many people 
will preach the gospel. Amen. And then tell the person they're preaching the gospel to to do something completely foreign from the Bible to be saved. It's wickedness. The Bible does not tell us to examine ourselves or make sure we have faith before we come to him. We come to him by turning from our sin. We turn in faith to him. When we hear his voice, when you hear his voice, come to him. Don't clean yourself up. Oh, let me just take this mirror of the Ten Commandments, all these things, I see myself, let me clean myself up with it. Let me just obey better. When you hear his voice, you come to him. You guys have met Pastor Michael Dinger. (laughs) I've sat under his preaching, and to be honest with you, the only thing I can quote from any of his sermons is if you feel the tip of the sword of conviction, don't pull away. Lean in. Lean in. It's good to feel conviction. It may be the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work on you to bring you to Christ. When you hear his voice, come to him. When you hear the gospel, lost man, lost woman, converted man, converted woman, come to him. We all need the gospel. For the wicked man out in the street, living in sin, the prescription is the same for you sitting here Turn from your sin. Same. When we hear the preaching of the gospel, repent and believe. This belief, this repentance is not a one-time thing. It's leading a life of repentance. Will you lead a life of faith in Christ? This is not to save yourself, but to be saved from yourself. How do we know we've repented and believed? How do you know? Do you hate the sin you once loved? Do you hate it for what it cost Christ? He stands ready to give you a new heart. One that longs for righteousness and hates sin. He will change you. I don't want to change. I like me. He'll not just save you from hell. He'll save you from your sins. Those things that are dragging you to hell. The little pet sin that you play with. Or the thing that you say, well, it's just part of my character. It's just who I am. Yeah, that's the problem. Acts 3.26 says, To you first... God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you by turning every one of you away from your iniquities. 
if God chooses, sees so fit to convert you, you'll desire him above all else. Not perfectly. Don't use that as an excuse. 1 John 1, 6-10, I'll just read it for sake of time. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Admit it. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, right? We make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're here for a very short period of time. It's a vapor. We're just talking last night. Man, I was 18, or I'm sorry, I was 21 yesterday. (laughs) 24 years has flown. And for some of you, 50 years has flown. Within the next 50 years, very few of us will be alive. Very few, if any. The Lord does not return. We'll all be in eternity. And as much as I would love to say, oh, we'll all be just glorifying Christ in heaven, there are some in this room that God will say, sure, have your sin. And my wrath. God forbid. That's not my desire. My prayer is not your desire. This valley is full of people that will be tormented forever. Here, let's let's quote an atheist for a second. You may have heard of the guy Penn Jillette. He's a you know, pen and teller. He's a magician illusionist. He's an atheist. He's a wicked man. But after, a guy came, after one of his shows, a guy came up to him, gave him a Bible. They talked for a little while. And um, he appreciated it. Why would an, a rabid atheist appreciate being given a Bible? He was asked about it and he said, if you believe that there is a heaven, a way of escaping a torment in hell forever, how wicked do you have to be not to tell anyone about it? This dude doesn't even believe it. <laughs> you don't want anyone. You say you're saved and on your way, but you don't want to tell others about Christ? Or you're too busy to give up all to follow Christ. Fall before God's only solution. 
God, in his love, provides the only solution to your sin problem. Jesus Christ died in place of his own to pay for their sin. Is that you? You know how you'll know? (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I'm elect. Turn from your sin. Find out. Repentance turns away from reliance upon works to reliance upon Christ alone, who died for our sins. Christ died as a substitute, but did he die in your place? He died for sin and rose again. He bore sin in his own body on the cross. Christ died to pay the penalty of death for sin. Acts 17.30 Circle it, underline it, highlight it. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere, that includes Wilworsing, New York, to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. I don't know if that's today. I don't know if that's tomorrow. I don't know if you have the next 10 years, but there is a day appointed where he will judge the world. Acts 17.30, truly, write it down, circle it, highlight it, truly, this will happen. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Amen. I'm translating. (laughs) Baby crying. You're no longer ignorant of these things. These times of ignorance God overlooked. You are no longer ignorant of these things. On that day, this may be brought up. Remember that day when the Fernandezes, those who sacrificed, moved from Orlando, came up here, he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached, and one day, his whole family's throwing up at home. Remember that day? Some fool stood up in front of you. And he begged you to turn from your sin. This may be the only time I ever stand in a pulpit. Amen! It's all I need for you. But there's others. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So all these things that God did, you're no longer ignorant of these things. You will glorify God for all eternity. You will. Whether in heaven, as a demonstration of his mercy and love, 
or in the lowest depth of hell as a demonstration of his justice, you will not rob God of his glory. Cry out to God for his mercy. In one respect, sure, God may have done this for you. But in another respect, he did this for himself. To be consistent with who he is. Salvation is consistent with who God is. Go to him. He wants to save sinners. He will save sinners. He's merciful. He's loving. He's just. He's long-suffering. Man, he deals with us. (sighs) Salvation is consistent with who God is, but... So is the punishment of sin. If you do not turn to God, turn to God's only remedy, prescription, if you will, you will be damned to hell. This is only on his terms. You don't get to, well, maybe if I offer this. Well, maybe if I do that. It's on his terms. Some of us just want to be saved from hell and not saved from our sin. Guess what? You won't be saved from hell then. You want your sin, you get hell too. You've all come here today with many things on your mind, perhaps even expectations based on the past. I'm not Pastor Rick. Did you come here to see a man to hear from a man. You're not here for others. You're not here today for you. You're not here for me. You are here today for God. Whether you come came willingly or under compulsion, you are here by God's providence to have an encounter with the living God. You're here for God only and for his glory alone. Will you glorify God in your destruction? Or will you glorify God in his mercy towards you? Where are you today? Do you recognize how God sees you? Are you obedient to his commands? Examine yourself. Do you hate the sin you once loved? I didn't ask if you want to go to heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Some just don't want God to be there. You may have heard that quote before. It's not about asking Jesus into your heart. That's not in the Bible, people. Jesus never said this. Jesus says, repent and believe. Peter, Paul, they all say, repent and believe. Have you truly repented? Have you truly believed? How do you know that you repented and believed? The Bible does not tell us to examine ourselves, repent, remember? Make sure you have faith before you come to him. No. (laughs) When you hear his voice, come to him. When we hear the gospel, the good news of a savior from sin, come to him. Again, do not tell me, yeah, I did that 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 60 years ago. 
Is your life marked by repentance now? Or are you apathetic to the things of God? What sin are you holding on to? What sin keeps you from truly repenting? Is it unbelief? Do you not believe that God will save you? That's why he came. That's why Christ took on flesh to save sinners from their sin. Repent from sin. Repent repent from sin to God. When a man comes home from work, perhaps he's carrying his briefcase, his children run up, his wife meets him at the door, he doesn't hold on to the bag of groceries and his briefcase and hug his children and hug his wife. He drops those things and he turns to his wife. He drops those things and he turns to his children. You ever see a kid on the playground, on the monkey bars? <laughs> um, I'll catch you, the dad says. Just let go. Mm-mm. It's too high. Uh-uh. Let go. Trust me. Let go of the sin. Belief is not mental assent to mere facts. It's trust. And actions naturally follow. Naturally follow. When the heart is changed, the actions will change. Not perfectly. Come to me. Let go. Not let go and let God. Let go of your sin. Can't. I've heard that. To the man with the withered hand, it said, stretch out your arm. If he said, I can't, he wouldn't. He couldn't. With the command comes the power to obey. Stretch out your hand. Whoa, how'd that happen? It's a miracle. Turn from your sin. I can't. No, 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 no. You didn't understand. You're commanded by an almighty God. Turn from your sin. Okay, turn from my sin. How'd that happen? You didn't do it. You were given the power to obey that command. How are we to walk? Godly sorrow. I'm just going to going to touch on these. Um, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Man. Matthew 7, 21. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 7. This, this is terrifying. <laughs> Matthew 7. Many of you know this passage. And I pray that this is not something that many of you say one day. 21, Matthew 7, 
21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Man, we've done all these good things. I'm not talking about sin here. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Wait, wait, wait. The all-knowing God doesn't know something? No. There's nothing between us here. I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's terrifying. You will glorify God Yes, eventually. But you will glorify God today. Some will receive the, with joy the word preached. Others will reject this exhortation because they believe it does not apply to them. Are you absolutely sure that you'll escape the wrath of God on Judgment Day? Do you obey the commandments? Better yet, are they burdensome or a joy? Before Christ ascended, what was his command? Turn to Matthew 28, and we'll end here. Are his commands burdensome or a joy? Matthew 28, right there towards the end of the gospel. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped. Natural reaction. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. There's a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. There's a command. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Command. Teaching them. Command. To observe or obey all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the... He's with us. We don't have to worry about the results. Just be obedient. He takes care of the results. We obey commands. Are his commands burdensome or a joy? That making disciples is not just preaching the gospel. Yes, go therefore. Make disciples of the nation. Yes, definitely preach. But then teaching them, it says, right? Teaching them to observe all these things. Discipling each other. Young people need help from old people. How to just run their lives. (laughs) Young fathers. You need help. We all need help. We've all been through a lot. And if you're walking with Christ, 
you've, you've learned a lot. You've been sanctified a little bit here and there. You've been put here to help others. We are with each other for a reason. Ours commands burdensome or joy. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Luke 6, 46. Why? Why do you do it? Pride? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which I say? I am your Lord. You don't make him your Lord. He's Lord of all. You don't make God anything. He is. If you've been presented with the pearl of great price or a treasure in the field, on the authority of God's word, I will give you God's command. Give up all to follow Christ. Count the cost. What's it going to cost you? Hell? What's it going to cost you? What's it going to cost you to serve the living God? Even those of you who are converted, those of you who are saved, those who you are serving now, what's it going to cost you to go all out for Him? What's it going to cost you? A few years here? This is a vapor. Give up all to follow Christ. Count the cost. Repent. Turn from sin and believe. Obey Christ. Go. Preach the good news. Train disciples. Those are learning followers. Learning followers of Christ. Training them in all that has been commanded. What do you have to lose? Honestly. Father, God, Lord, Almighty, Holy One. Lord, I don't want to be the focus of anything. I want you, Lord, and your word to pierce through both the unconverted and the converted. Lord, may your Holy Spirit do a work here in this body of believers and in this valley. Lord, I pray that we would be humble enough to examine ourselves, each of us. That we would be sick of ourselves and desire to be filled with you, to know you better. That we would desire Christ above all things. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for allowing this today. May you May you be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Um, please stand and sing.